What's up, folks? It's the Illenials Podcast again here with a bonus episode. Yeah, don't call it the Illenials Podcast. This is a bonus. <laughs> bonus episode, baby. Um, this time we are discussing uh, Steven Spielberg's newest movie, Ready Player One. Yes, it's a movie that was released just this past weekend and has got a lot of buzz. Mm-hmm. We both went and saw it. Uh, separate theaters. Different states. And different states. Different countries, almost, <laughs> and we're here to talk about uh, our feelings about the movie. And I just I want to start out with what we felt like going into the movie. Mm-hmm. So let's start with you. What, but just going into the movie with your knowledge of the source material and all that other stuff and the trailers, what were you thinking? Uh, yeah, so I read the book um, back in like 2013 because it was so uh, recommended to me as something I should read, and I would just. When I read it, I had to wonder what the collective psychosis the world was under that called it a good book. Because it's, it's a very terrible book. It's an execrable uh, book and should never have been written. Um, so, but between my knowledge of that and my knowledge of the trailers and sort of like going into it, I, I was going into the theater expecting to hate this movie. I thought, I'm going to torment myself seeing this in the theater. Yeah. So, I was kind of along the same lines. I read the book about two or three years back. I read most of it. I didn't finish it. It's one of the only books that I just couldn't finish because it was just, it was very bad. It was it, I consider it one of the worst books I've ever read, um, even though it tried as hard as it could to get me to like it. And but the thing is, once I heard that Steven Spielberg was directing, and I saw you know some of the clips and stuff, I actually got pretty confident that Spielberg was gonna make it into a passable movie because something that's very some people don't shout out enough is that steven spielberg his movies might not always be great but he very rarely turns in crap and for a guy who's done as many movies as he has that's very impressive so and then once more the trailers come out and all the material all the source material or not source material, all the promotional material was just hey remember this hey this nostalgia this i was like okay this movie probably is gonna suck um so we both went into it thinking this ain't going to be very good, but let's see how it is. And uh, I guess I'll just go ahead and drop the bag right now. We uh, we both liked it. I, w- I would say that I thought it was, a, it was a decent movie. It was, I was going in expecting trash, and it exceeded my expectations, and by that me- metric, it's a, a not a bad movie at all. Yeah. Here's the thing, and this is what I was saying. Is it a fantastic, you know, award-winning movie? No. Is it basically wish-fulfillment porn? Yes. Is the story anything special, honestly? No. Did I have fun watching it? Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, none of that stuff else none of that other stuff matters as long as I had fun watching this action CGI movie thriller, you know? Mm-hmm. And I just want to point out that the reason that it is a good movie or a, a, a decent film in, in and of itself is that it takes the broad strokes of what the book was and then abandons pretty much everything else about it, like all the specifics, and replaces it with things that are, you know, actually fun to look at. Because, like, for instance, in in the book, a lot of the challenges are just literally rote recitation of 80s trivia and stuff, and none of that is in the movie. There are 80s things, yes, but none of it depends on just the character's encyclopedic knowledge of Knight Rider or some shit. Yes. And, alright, so... We'll talk, let's talk a little bit about the book real quick. Mm-hmm. So the book is written by a guy named Ernest Klein, who I have never seen before. I just looked up a picture of him yep. on Google, and he looks exactly the way you'd expect. Mm-hmm. No surprises 
on this guy. And so one thing that turned me off so much is Ernest Cline is not a good writer at all. Um, when I was reading the book, I, I honestly, and this this isn't just me trying to take podcasts, I honestly felt like I was reading a book written by a middle schooler. It didn't have anything special. It didn't have the rhetoric was very simple and not in the good way where it's like, oh, it's you know something everybody can read. It was just too dumbed down. He didn't. He did the. He told didn't sh- didn't tell or he did he told didn't show, you know. And the whole the whole rule is show don't tell. There's lines in the book where it's just like, oh yeah, then me and my friend we were we were we went back and forth Monty Python trivia and everyone was amazed and. That's just a lame thing to write because you can still write two characters who know a lot about Monty Python and it be cool, but you show that they have this knowledge and you show that, you know, it makes a playful dynamic between the two. You don't just tell us that, you know? Let me tell you something I always find real cool is dudes who can recite lines from Monty Python shit as if we haven't already heard that a thousand times. Exactly. And so Ready Player One is a bad book. He got very lucky that it somehow got all this popularity like it still doesn't have a whole lot of like actual critical acclaim um it's won a couple of awards you know but i mean there's a million awards these days any book can win a goddamn award that's not hard um it's just a bad book all around he got lucky it got really popular made him a lot of money and it made this movie which made him even more money and his second book that came out just a couple of years back is called armada and it's literally last starfighter yeah it's, all it's it a ripoff of The Last Starfighter. So, we're going to put all of our feelings about Ernest Klein aside for some of this review. Well, I just want to point out one thing real quick. Yeah, go ahead. I can explain to you the crazy success of Ready Player One. Okay. Is that Ernest Klein is, is himself a 40, you know, in his 40s guy who was writing about the 80s, which when he was growing up, you know, it was his, it was his, his prime of his life. You know, he was in his teenage years. It was, you know, the, the height of popularity of, 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 well, of pop culture that he enjoyed. Cause you know, it's, we've seen studies that say that people absorb the things that happen in their teenage years and they consider those the baseline of what is entertaining. And so he wrote a book that is just homages to those things, not even homages, directly just uses those things from that era of his life. And so many other guys that are in this genre of writing, this you know sci-fi, uh, literary sort of like uh, 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 critique and writing spectrum, are also forty-year-old white dudes who grew up in that same era, and they all love the book because it it appealed to them on that level of things they thought were cool from that time in their life. And then yeah. gave it good reviews. Those good reviews were, were, came from authoritative sources. And so the, the group think got started, you know, the hive mind got to work. And we all started thinking it was a great book. But then now there's this big redefinition of it where people are like, actually, this book is fucking garbage. Like, this is trash. Why did, why did anyone like this? And so now we're trying to, we, we understand that we were like all hallucinating this idea that it was good back in the day. And by, the, by back in the yeah. day, I mean six years ago. <laughs> Yeah, and I and I guess maybe I wasn't blinded by it because I read it much after it came out. Um, I think I read it right before Armada was about to come out, and it was just yeah, I was like, this is really bad. But yeah, that, um, and yeah, that is that pretty much explains the success of the book so much. And what makes the movie so good, as we said, is it slaps the book in the face. Yeah. Um, whereas the book fetishizes this nostalgia and really creates. It's, just fueled this nostalgia monster we're living in right now. You know, 
emblemized by the whole Make America Great Again movement that our current president ran his entire campaign on. Um, And the book and the movie instead is like it actually shows the true dangers of nostalgia and looking back and how the past has actually been painful and maybe we should look forward and think about how to make things better instead of always looking backwards. Yeah, it's like... In, in the movie, whenever they go and they explore one of James Halliday's memories from when he was younger, it's a painful memory. It's something that he did that he regrets and he has problems with. And the subtle message I think it's trying to push there, as subtle as a blockbuster can be, is that, hey, maybe the past isn't always great, you know? And even the good times were tempered by bad times. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And... So yeah, let's just get into it. Let's talk about. Let's actually talk. About we should actually you know bit. describe what it's about for people who haven't read it or watched yeah, it. Yeah, we haven't. Okay, so Ready Player One is set in a dystopian future, certainly, um, where people have pretty much all but given up on the real life and only play a game, this virtual experience, this virtual whatever you want to call it, called the Oasis. Um, in that you can play, you can do like first person shooters, you can do racing games, you can do just regular life sims, you can play Minecraft, you can do pretty much anything you could do and it's, you know, in this virtual reality and it's all fantastical and you can, you know, be whatever you want to be, look however you want to be and do all that. What else shall we add to this description? Uh, it takes place in Columbus, Ohio, um, in the year 2045. And our hero uh, is called is named Wade Watts, uh, which he yeah. was named thusly because his father thought it would sound like a superhero. Um, by the way, his name is actually Wade Owen Watts. So you know, uh, they uh, his parents were have died uh, like twenty years ago or so, and he lives with his aunt in the stacks, which are uh, these like elevated trailers like we have today that are on these big metal struts that hold them up. And Columbus, Ohio is the fastest growing city in the world in this movie. Yeah. And they're like, the stacks are just like basically mobile homes that are stacked on top of each other. Mm. And it's like a ghetto. It's basically a ghetto. It's it's squalorous existence. So our main character, we don't have to talk too much about it. In the game, his name is Parzival. He's got a friend named H. They call each other by the letters. Um, He meets this girl named Artemis, who is like this badass. Um... And the entire time, there's this... um, So the whole crux of the movie is that five years prior to the movie starting, in 2040, the guy who created the game... What's his name? James Halliday. James Halliday. He died, and he released this message saying, okay, so I've left an Easter egg inside of the game. you got to find these three keys, complete these three challenges. The first person to do it will get the Easter egg, and they will get all of my wealth, which is half a trillion dollars, and they'll have control over the Oasis. And so there's, um, and it's been five years, and they've only ever found one challenge and haven't even completed it. So a lot of people have given up on it, but there's still a group of people called the Gunters, which are egg hunters, who are going to continuously look for it. And there's also this company named IOI, which is Innovative Online Industries, I believe. Yeah. Um, and they have like full-time employees doing nothing but trying to find the egg so that they can control the Oasis and become the biggest company in the world and basically turn the Oasis into their advertising playground. What's interesting Which, about this is that the, the employees who study James Halliday are separate from the folks who actually go in and do the work of trying to get it, who are slaves. They're literal slaves. Yes. And, oh, and then, of, so of course, I mean, this is a leftist show. IOI is the 
the big capitalist organization that wants to take this thing that is still actually relatively free and open to people and monetize it and crush people with it. And one way they're already doing that is if you accrue any debt you owe to IOI, you go to this thing called a loyalty center, which is where you get put into a one-person-shaped cube, and you have to go into the game and do labor for them until you've paid off your debt. And most people just die while they're in these uh, loyalty centers. And there's an interesting thing, too, about how that combines the idea of a company town with, you know, a debtor's prison. And there's a moment in the movie where they actually say, hey, you don't actually owe us anything, but we bought all of your debt to other companies, and we're now going to use that to turn you into a slave. Which is yep. a pretty interesting, actually, commentary on things that happen in the real world. Yeah. So, yeah, the movie's got a, a bunch of... It's got interesting things going on, mm-hmm. and... It definitely expounds on them better than the book, even though it's only two hours long. They really do flesh out a lot of stuff better, and it's interesting. And as far as stuff, let, let's get into it. Well, stuff yeah. we liked about the movie. Well, hold on. Let's, let's do a real oh, quick thing here where um, in the beginning of the film, uh, uh, or towards the beginning, uh, Parzival, or Wade, our main character, uh, figures out uh, a hidden clue to the, the the first challenge and defeats yeah. it. He successfully beats the uh, the first challenge and gains the first key, right? Yeah. And from there, he sort of like goes on to start collecting other keys and doing other challenges. And the interesting thing is that, or one thing that's interesting is that uh, IOI starts to interfere with him in the real life by destroying his home and killing his aunt. Um, and then, you know, tr- chasing him across the, the, the city as they try and uh, uh, kill, which is interesting because... That happens in the book, too, but there's literally no stakes at all. Like, the whole ending of this movie where there's a big car chase and, you know, threats in the real world to people never occurs in the book. There's no tension whatsoever. Yeah, I don't even think I ever got to that part of the book, so I don't even remember, but... Which, my biggest praise for this movie is related to that. My, my, My biggest compliment I can have is, and it's just a shitty thing that I have to compliment it about, is... That it actually adds stakes and tension to the plot and makes it actually something you want to watch because you'll want to you want to know what happens next. Yeah, exactly. And in fact, I actually consider the last like thirty minutes of the movie to be, I mean, a straight thriller. Like I was really, really wanting to know what's gonna happen next, and I was, I was glued to the screen. I didn't have any complaints about that those those last segments because I was I was very impressed with how they pulled it off. I think you said this before that you think that it demonstrates Spielberg's mastery as an action director, right? Yeah, Spielberg. I mean, I'm I'm giving this man so much credit. I mean, once again, and we don't know where all the credit lies. Him or uh, Zach Penn, the co-wrote co-writer of of the script, he co-wrote it with Ernest Klein. I don't know how much Ernest Klein did, how much Zach Penn did. It doesn't matter. Um, Spielberg's a master. The action scenes were done very well. One thing that the weird thing that I haven't seen many reviews bring up is that. Considering this movie is a large amount of CGI, you know, when you're in anytime any scene you're inside of the Oasis, it's all CGI. The actors aren't even there anymore; it's just their avatars, and they're just doing the voice. Um, the animation is really, really good. Like nobody's even talking about just how good this movie looks. It looks a lot better than even some other like really heavy CGI movies. The facial animations, in particular, were very were very intricate and detailed. Yeah, and then all the action scenes were just so well blocked. It, I mean, it just Spielberg really knows how to make a good flow. Because, like, first of all, since you're in this crazy oasis world, you know it's it's cool. There's all these colors, all these lights. There's so much to distract you, but you are able to focus on the action and what's actually um, like 
all the characters, all the stakes that are in a certain action scene, even though no matter how much is going on, you can still take it all in, no matter how many characters are on the screen. And I think that's that's a really hard thing to do, and Spielberg did it very well. Yeah, one problem that I have with modern action movies, like the Transformers movies uh, and the Marvel movies too, is their action scenes can sometimes be very uh, busy and disconcerted. And it's hard yeah. to determine who's doing what. That does not happen in this film. i got to give them credit. Like you said, it's very easy to track what's happening in the action scenes. Yes. Yeah. And a lot of work was put into that. And it's, I mean, yeah, it's good to see that some effort was put into the movie, unlike the book, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Yeah, they actually um, tried. Yeah, and then, so I want to go ahead and real quick talk about probably the coolest segment of the whole movie. Um, the the second challenge in the, the book, or in the movie, where you have to get the second key, is where they do a recreation of The Shining by Stanley Kubrick, and I I was blown away. They recreated, like, the, the hotel, the typewriter, the little girls, the blood in the, the hallway. They recreated that movie so well, but then also added all these outlandish things, and then even explained around it to where it even got cooler because of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, it was, I was blown away. I have no idea how they recreated the Overlook in that level of detail because it's literally when they first walk through the portal and into this, it's the it's the big grand staircase, you know, the the, the, the Overlook, and the scene, you know, we all think of that scene where uh, Jack Nicholson is swinging the, is chasing Shelley Duvall up the stairs and she's swinging the bat at him, and yes. it's literally just that, no no actors or anything. I don't know how they accomplished what they did in that in that whole scene. Yeah, it got summed up by as, literally as soon as it opened up and we saw the hotel, the dude behind me in the theater said, how the hell are they pulling this off? Yeah. And I was right there with him. I was like, I do not know, but I'm very I'm, I'm very interested. And I'll, I will watch the behind the scenes of this movie just to find out how they pulled it all off. And what's weirder to me to that than that is the fact that The Shining is a horror movie. You know, it's a, R, it's a, it's a very, uh, t- t- by today's standard, very hard R a horror film, but this is a PG-13 movie, and they somehow managed to blend the elements of The Shining into this PG-13 movie without crossing a line, which I thought was very interesting. Yeah, I think one thing that did that was when they kind of, like, especially when, you know, he uh, the character H goes into room 237, and, you know, there's the girl in the tub, and they, they, they did a lot of clever ways to cover up the nudity, mm-hmm. which I thought was pretty funny, which a lot of movies do these days, and then, but then that's when it became outlandish, and it it didn't because in the mo- in the original movie obviously it's a hard R but these days since they made it a little like almost like a cartoony kind of like fight scene it made it easier to translate into PG thirteen and they did that a lot with the other scenes in the movie as well like the hedge scene and all that kind of stuff and I think it, it's a it's a very good um, also the the blood you know the, the river of blood coming out of the elevator also went from terrifying in the original to goofy here and I thought that was very well yeah, done. yeah it was funny. And then one very unique experience I had was I was seeing it with a couple of my friends, and the one sitting next to me had never seen The Shining before, so she was like, she was in the shoes of the character H in the movie who had also never seen The Shining but was having to live through it. So every every couple of seconds she was like, oh wait, th- what is this? What is room two thirty seven? What is this? And then H was having that same experience, so it was kind of cool to see how that was in real life versus on the screen and how kind of close it was. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. As great overall best 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 portion of the movie was the whole entire shining part. 
And, yes. Which also, by the way, led to, the, my, my, in my opinion, the second best joke of the movie, which is when they're talking about how they have to then get the, the IOI has to get their uh, corporate guys through the challenge, and it cuts to them, like, screaming and running around <laughs> terrified of, yeah. of what they're, they're seeing. all getting destroyed. Was that was so funny. Very, very, a very funny bit. And then beyond that, I mean, the movie, yeah, it had all that nostalgia porn. Oh, look, there's there's this thing. Oh, there's the Battletoads. There's Master Chief. There's all this stuff. But the movie, st- like, still, the entire time, the movie actually had a heart to it. And I really, I actually did like the characters, and I liked their motivations. And, you know, there's a fucking scene where the Iron Giant and a fucking Gundam are fighting Mechagodzilla. And... If you would have told me that a couple months ago, I would have been like, "Ugh, of course they're doing this." But that scene was awesome as shit. I'm I'm still not happy with the Iron Giant's inclusion in this movie and the role that it was. I'll never be okay with it because it completely defeats the message of the Iron Giant movie itself. But it was well, sure it was a fun scene to watch, regardless of that. Yeah, and it was just cool. Well, because you know, in the, and... in the original version, it was going to be Ultraman, not the Iron Giant. But they apparently they couldn't get the rights to Ultraman, which. How did they get the rights to half the shit they did get the rights to? That's that, and that's one thing I think that really helped uh, with Spielberg directing it. Yeah, that's true. Was that when you got Spielberg on it, you can probably get a lot more stuff. Um, but even then, I don't know how. They, like, and also, who the hell is protecting Ultraman more than the Iron Giants? Well, it's it's apparently no one knows who actually owns the rights to Ultraman, and it's in like court cases right now, so no one could really use it. Oh wow! So that's the thing but with yeah. Ultraman. And it was cool. And yeah, what else can we talk about? I have the, the, I have a couple I have a couple of uh, uh, small notes here, a couple of criticisms yeah, of the yeah, movie yeah. I need to get over with. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's not a perfect movie. No, not at all. There, there's a lot of plot holes, but it's fun. Yeah. So my, go ahead. my first one is when when uh, uh, Parzival Wade comes across Artemis for the first time in the movie. Um, he in the book this makes sense that he he geeks out over her presence because she's like a blogger in in the uh, book you know she's famous she's got a big following of people who like her blog posts or whatever in this though he just says oh it's Artemis I can't believe it or whatever and then they never explain to you why he had that reaction you don't they, and then they never explain why she's like I guess in game famous yeah it, she's like legendary player for some reason but no one ever says why like H I would get because H is explained to be a you know, a fine craftsman. They work very well with materials and stuff to make, you know, custom-made stuff for people. But her, we never get an explanation about her whole deal. I would assume the explanation is that she's probably a really popular gunter, like on the forums or whatever. And it's the first time he'd met her, but it would be nice if they actually said that. Yeah, that's true. And then later on, we mentioned, I mentioned already that IOI has... Uh, his his aunt killed. Uh, they blow up the stack that she lives in, and, and thinking that he's there as well, and kills her. And then Wade has no reaction whatsoever. He never even sheds he, a tear. He gets upset about it like during that scene, and then he mentioned he only brings it up one more time in the movie. Yeah, and never even never even talks about it again. So it was very weird that he was working so hard to protect his aunt, and or at least trying to get her out of the stacks, and then doesn't even talk about her death that much. And then we established that um, that he doesn't really think she's that great, but she did raise him. So there, in in in, a, in a other kind of narrative, there would still be a scene where the hero is like, "Oh man, I didn't, you know, it wasn't great, but she still did raise me up." So I have to like feel bad about this, but that really didn't happen this time around. 
It was yeah. very, very disconcerting. And again, that part, though, is 100% accurate to the book because in the book, he also had no reaction to his aunt being killed. But in the book, he was way more of a, like an open uh, sociopath, not that Ernest Klein would have known that. Yeah. And my last note that I really have that I re- that I thought uh, really stuck out to me was that um, uh, Artemis, Samantha, as she is in the real world, is um, she... When when uh, Wade first wakes up, she says, "Welcome to the rebellion," and I was like, "The rebellion against what?" Because no one besides her ever speaks about this, or says, or uh, from this organization never talks, and they never explain what they're rebelling against. They just appear to be vagabonds who live in an abandoned warehouse and nebulously are fighting against something. Yeah, I mean, once again, this is one of those things where I think the assumption is supposed to be that. I mean, it's not even an assumption. It's pretty obvious that they're rebelling against IOI and them wanting to control the game. But, yeah, as you say, they don't ever talk about it. Nobody else in that place ever even fucking speaks. Mm -mm. It's just her and Wade. So it is a little hard to piece together. But, yeah, I think that that's pretty much the... the, The movie does reply on a couple of assumptions, I think. Yeah. Uh, But, again, these, these, these flaws I'm pointing out are still way better than the way the book went down. So... Even with that, it's it's not it's not bad. Yeah. At the end of the day, I found it really hard not to enjoy watching this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think I think that's all that's all you really need. If you, they Spielberg made a good movie, they put it together well. It didn't. It wasn't this overwhelming nostalgia factory that a lot of us thought it was going to be. It ended up being pretty fun, and I can't fault anybody for that. Oh wait, one last criticism that I have. Uh, oh, go ahead. The ending where they said that their solution to our crippling addiction to the the Oasis was to shut it down on Tuesdays and Thursdays. That struck me as a very a very neoliberal idea. Yeah, they should have done it Mondays and Wednesdays. What are you talking about? <laughs> Tuesdays, Thursdays, that's crazy. Um, um, also, who what's the name of the actress that played H? Uh, Lena Waithe. Because it is revealed in the movie, like it is in the book, that H, who in the book is assumed to be a white dude because his avatar is a white dude, and here uh, H's avatar is uh, like an orc type thing, like a cyborg like orc. A, yeah, like a cyborg orc, basically. A cyborg. Ooh. And uh, is revealed to be played by Lena Waithe, um, who you might have seen on uh, Master of None on Netflix, uh, yeah. listeners. Um, I was very happy to see her get more work, first of all. I think she's a very funny uh, actress. And so, I don't know, I just want to shout out Lena Waite. She's, she's, she does a great job. H is very funny in this movie. Uh, and she does a great job of, uh, both it, with voice acting and in real life. Yeah. And, yeah, overall, it was a fun watch. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad. It very, probably easily the most surprising movie I've watched in a long time. Yeah, I would definitely didn't, say so. I didn't so. think it was going to be even re- any... Re- at all redeemable and it ended up being pretty good because you know if it had just followed the book it would have been a shitty movie yeah probably it would have been very bad if it followed like the whole shining scene we talked about in the movie in the book literally all they do is just recreate the plot to war games yeah and that's it And it's just boring it's the whole thing yeah in this one, the guy, uh, Halliday, actually is trying to make the person who is going to inherit his legacy be better than him. He wants him to be a better person, uh, which I think is a much more important thing than, oh, I know a lot about the 80s. Yeah, he and he taught and, you know, he made them realize the dangers of looking back on everything. And even though the, I wouldn't say the ending of this movie is perfectly leftist, at the end of the movie, they do. Um, they sign over ownership to a group of people who hope, as, as we can hope, will take the take the uh, 
the game farther into the future and be more open for everybody and not let these capitalist companies overtake everything. So that was kind of a cool ending as well for me. And the guy who plays Halliday does a very good job of uh, of selling the character as being like a weird uh, sort of guy. like Not weird in a bad way, but like weird in a way that does uh, have negative effects on his life without being a caricature. Yeah, you told me last night that he's actually a popular stage actor and spot like this kudos to this guy he played this part perfectly mm-hmm. um also another cool thing about this movie is it doesn't have a lot of big names in it i mean ben mendelson simon Pegg is in it for a little bit and i mean lena waith has some pull these days she's still not that big everybody else is relatively new or unknown and that's pretty impressive yeah it doesn't rely on star power to to really sell to sell it so it uh overall like i said went in thought i was gonna hate it came out thinking yeah. ah, wasn't bad you know all right out of 10 how many player ones would you give it out of out of 10 i would give this uh i'd give this seven player ones yeah i'd say i'd say i'm a little i'd say seven and a half seven mostly and a half. i mean mostly because just because and, and of course it's it's a lot comes on our expectations you know a lot i expected it to be a two out of ten. Yeah, and it was just it, it blew me away with how fun it was, and although once again not a perfect movie, a lot of problems, I still really enjoyed it, and it blew me away. So seven point five, seven point five player ones out of ten. Yeah, my summary would be uh, enjoyable watch. The flaws that it has are movie flaws and not the flaws the book had, which is a huge compliment actually. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's a, I think we're done, right? We did, yeah, uh, we that's did our it. review of Ready Player One. Yep. So uh, again, if you like the show, uh, be sure to like, subscribe, follow us on uh, Twitter. I'm on there at uh, at MC Surf, and Seth is on there at uh, at, at Life, Life of, of Seth. Yep, with some spaces. I can in say there. my own Twitter name. Oh, okay, okay, cool, cool, cool. At Life of Seth, um, and from New Orleans to New York, fuck the New England Patriots. And you can bring a horse to some water, but he can't get under it. Yep. Good night. Good night.